this older gentleman, you know, spots Chris from across the room and runs over, gives him this nice, nice handshake and uh, said, hey, Chris, how you doing? And then looks at me and he said, oh, yeah, you, um, you're the taster girl. And I said, yeah, that's me. I'm the taster girl. (laughs) And Chris looks at this guy. He looks at me and he said, no, she's the master taster. Hi, my name is Marianne Eves. I'm Kentucky's first female master distiller. And I want you to steal my strategy. You're listening to Steal My Strategy. The show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it. I feel like you're such an interesting person, and I'm so glad to have you on this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, when you get to talk with somebody who's a first, they're a trailblazer. You know, there's somebody who's done something nobody else has done before. And, and for you to do that, of course, I also love whiskey. <laughs> so it makes you especially interesting. And one of the reasons we really wanted to have you is because, as you mentioned, being a, the first female, you, you run a male-dominated industry. In the financial industry, there's only like 15% women. And in, at, the, at the C-suite, it's an even smaller number, which is sad. And you've accomplished so much. So I, we really want to hear from you. Like, like, just tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into whiskey? Oh, well, I was born in Tennessee and grew up in Kentucky. So those are some very whiskey-loving states. But the funny thing is I grew up in a dry county. So I, I wasn't even really exposed to, to spirits as a child. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people in the industry have this story of uh, bourbon in their baby bottle and that sort of thing. But, but you know, I, I was a, a nerdy, introverted kid. I loved math and science. So uh, when I had to pick what I was going to go to college for, I chose chemical engineering. Engineering. And there's so many things that you can do with a chemical engineering degree. You can make peanut butter, you can make cosmetics, you can go into the renewable energy industry, or you can make bourbon. And I just got <laughs> lucky and, and happened into a, a great internship with, with Brown Foreman. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you got that internship, had you already decided, like, I, I want to do the whiskey angle? Or is it just because you were a chemical engineer that that's the first opportunity that came to you? No, it, it, I mean, it was a big whiskey company, but they made all sorts of things. So, you know, I could have wound up at a tequila plant down in Mexico or, or out in Finland making vodka, but my palate developed really quickly for, for brown spirits for some reason. I just, I just fell in love with, with them quickly, even though I wasn't a drinker before I started in the industry. Yeah. Well, you know what? We, we've got to talk more about whiskey. We're going to save it to the end and get some of your recommendations for those who want to hang on for that sort of thing. But for now, we're going to talk about some of the other things that really have made your career special and that have a high degree of relevance for the audience in the financial industry. Particularly, Marianne, you entering that industry, it's very male-dominated, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't have the percentage off the top of my head, but I, I didn't see any any other women doing what I wanted to do in the industry when I first started. Yeah. So so you, you didn't see that. And yet here you are entering and you have this vision. What inspired you to persevere? How did you, you know, how did you feel when you were facing that? You know, a company like Brown Foreman, I was really lucky. They have an incredible corporate culture of diversity and they were helping me uh, 
kind of navigate through all, all of these, what could have been potential hurdles at, at other companies. But I, I really didn't feel like there were many roadblocks other than, than maybe some internal ones <laughs> navigating through the, the, the journey you know, going from an intern to being selected to train as a, a master taster and then becoming a, a protege to a master distiller within a very short, you know, six-year period. So I had some some incredible women to look up to. This particular company, Brown Foreman, had a lot of women at the top of the chain. And the woman that that hired me was really focused on pushing me out of my box a little bit, you know, out of my comfort zone, making sure that I was networking and taking opportunities, even, even you know, ones that, that were non-traditional. I was already non-traditional being a female chemical engineer, but then also, you know, raising my hand to go into the warehouse and, and roll barrels and, and do things that typically you would think, you know, a boy should be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I lo- I love it. So, you know, there's a there's a few things that you said that I really really want to key in on. So, you you talked about the company environment that made it possible. You talked about your own internal struggles, and you talked about the things that you actually did. And I, I want to break that down a little bit. Let, let's let's first talk about the the internal struggles. I think that's probably for many the biggest hurdle, right? So, what type of internal struggles are you talking about when you say that and how did you overcome those? I feel like there was a a lot of this kind of nagging, do I really have what it takes? Am I am I the one that they should choose for for this opportunity? Am am I gonna do the the best job? You know, it it, it was a good thing for me. I had actually not started into college right away. I was an, a non-traditional student, so I took a little bit of time off after high school and had some real world experience building a business with my mom. And unfortunately, it failed pretty quickly. But when I when it co- came the time for me to to um, get in into the real world and get this internship, I felt like I had a little bit more of a, a backbone in some cases. I I knew what the opportunity was. You know, going going through school, there's there's some things that you don't really see for the value that they have until you know that it's going to be really important to to how your career develops and and I knew that the way that I operated within this company and the people that I knew and and how I spoke to them and and how I carried myself would set me up for success or not and it was really hard to put myself out there being a natural introvert but you know some somebody saw something and they kept pushing me and I kept you know climbing beyond these really uncomfortable situations. So to give you an example, I can remember the, the first time I got in front of a camera. At this point, you know, we're, while we're talking, I've been on the, the Steve Harvey show and, and done a TED Talk. But when I first started working for, for Ron Foreman, I really kept to myself. And they offered this opportunity to me to start training as a master taster, which is a public-facing role. And I was like, I, you yeah. know, I, I can talk to people, you know, face to face. That's, that's fine. They put me in front of a camera <laughs> and I didn't, you know, they, I, I didn't have to say a word. We were in the warehouse. Chris Morris was doing a, a promotional PR video for the next birthday bourbon for old Forrester. 
and he was kind of struggling to juggle all of the things that, that he was doing, drilling, plugging the barrel, taking the sample. He's like, hey, I've got Marianne here. Can we bring her into this shot and she can just hold the drill? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so my only job was to hold the drill and as soon as the the camera light turns on I start sweating. I feel like I can't breathe. I I don't have I don't even have to look at the camera but I I still feel like I'm about to hyperventilate. So overcoming and and knowing that I'm capable, you know, not just running away from the those uncomfortable feelings but but accepting help and coaching when they offered it to me and continuing to to push myself. Yeah, you, you've said so many amazing and powerful things there. I mean, you you talked about overcoming failure, but the experiences when you were younger and how they shaped you. You you've talked about how you've had these these experiences that you had to overcome personality traits, even like being an introvert and facing these things and doing it anyway. And I, and I love how you're saying, even though you're uncomfortable, you just persevered and and you pushed through. Did did you ever have specific times where you really felt like? either out of your element in the industry as a woman or perhaps discriminated against? And and if so, how did you face that? It was a really enlightening interaction for me. And I wouldn't say necessarily that I felt discriminated against it. But, you know, I, I think that one of um, my powers, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> is that, you know, I, I, I come to the table with a lot of knowledge and, and confidence, but I'm not overbearing with it. And I think I'm more relatable and not uh, non-threatening. So, I that. you know, you <laughs> don't, nobody gets up in arms when I walk <laughs> in the room, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, that that's a a, a tool in some ways and, and can also be a, a barrier in other ways. So we were getting ready to launch an, a new product for Old Forester. There was some celebration. There were lots of people there from the brand, other folks in the industry, and then, you know, people that owned bars and restaurants and liquor stores and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm just floating around the room, talking to people, smiling, standing with Chris more as the master distiller, as the master taster. And this older gentleman, you know, spots Chris from across the room and runs over and shake, gives him this nice, nice handshake and uh, said, hey, Chris, how you doing? And then looks at me and he said, oh, yeah, you, you're the taster girl. And I said, yeah, that's me. I'm the taster girl. <laughs> and Chris looks at this guy. He looks at me and he said, no, she's the master taster. Yes, and this guy kind of rolls his eyes and shrugs a little bit. And he said, yeah, but you're the taster girl. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the taster girl. <laughs> same, same thing, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris corrects both of us again. He said, no, she's the master taster. So at that point, I was like, oh, this isn't a joke. And I'm not a joke. That's right. I need to, I need to start owning all of the hard work that I've done to achieve this title. No, I am the master taster. I didn't say that to him in the moment, but you know, he got it. He got what Chris was saying and and I stood up a little bit straighter and and from that point on I was like, yeah, I'm not going to let people call me the taster girl. That that's such a wonderful. It's a beautiful lesson. It's a great story because it it affects everybody no matter what. If you don't have the confidence in who you are and if other people don't see that in you, that's their bad, but we have to own that, right? And and your leadership 
your leadership that you had there. I think it's a it's an excellent example for other leaders in in any industry who want to cultivate talent, stand up for your people, defend them. In fact, I, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what would you say to leaders in this industry, knowing full well that there there's not enough of a hospitable environment for women. There's not enough uh, female representation, and we need that. We need the diversity. We need the talent, and we want to make it the best place it can be for everyone, right? So, what what would you say to people that they could do to make you feel like like you felt that day with him? What can we do better? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I think that strength and support and you know, it's, it's nice when, when somebody else gives you a pat on the back in a, in a situation where you're not, you don't, you don't feel comfortable to, to do it yourself. You know, there, there are definitely cases where we can say <laughs> all the things that are, that are wonderful about us and, and talk ourselves up. But, you know, by way of, of introduction, if, if you really believe in somebody and, and what they're doing, you know, I think across gender, whether it, you know, somebody that's new to the industry or been in the industry in a thousand years, this was, this is Marianne. She built an amazing distillery called Castle and Key, and she's the first female master distiller. And, and you know, at, at some point, this, the first female, hopefully we'll be all used up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, that's we'll, right. we'll have all the firsts for everything. And, and, uh, then it'll just be a matter of she's a, a badass at what she does and want to introduce you to my colleague. You yeah. know? Isn't that isn't that right? That that's exactly how it should be because it's not the, the sex or the race or anything like that that matters. It's the, the person and the ability and the talent. And and what you just said really speaks to the heart of that. So that's that's awesome. Can I ask you to give a little bit of advice? You you've already had a great career, you still have a great career of course, but you've come a long way since college. And what advice would you give to uh, a young person entering our industry for the first time and facing some of these types of challenges? When I was first starting in this industry, I had very competing in- advice <laughs> from my two parents, which I think really shaped the way that I I approached my work-life balance and what what is important in in what you pursue and and how you achieve your goals. You know, I'm in engineering school. It's difficult. Every single class feels like a weed out class (laughs) because, because really it is, (laughs) you know, aggressive schedules, really hard work. And essentially the advice from my mom was, you know, you want to enjoy the experience. So if you're a, a C average student, and you're still passing and you can enjoy a little bit of your, your college experience along the way. That, that, that's what she told me to do. And then my dad had this advice. He was like, you know, go into a job interview, tell them that you'll mop the floor if that's what they need, (laughs) get there early, stay there late, you know, bust your butt to be the, the company man. And I think that that really translated into how I approached entering the the workforce at at, Cass, at um, Brown Foreman, pardon me. You know, I I was very aware that that folks were looking for people who were super passionate about this. So I was coming in early. I was always volunteering for opportunities. Uh, 
you know, I was like, I see that, that the, uh, this other lab tech is going to have to stay late. Would you mind if I stayed late with them so that I can help with the, the work and that sort of thing? So really in a genuine way, showing them how passionate I was to learn about every single thing that they, they needed, not being afraid of some extra hours. Sometimes, you know, they're, the things things are hard and overwhelming but it, it it's going to pay off getting into the the industry being uh, eventually hired on full time at at Brown Foreman I was you know volunteering for night shifts at at the Jack Daniels distillery and and there for you know 12 plus hours taking still samples running up and down wow. the you know 200 plus <laughs> degree <laughs> copper column still it's, it's like i don't know 10 stories high and didn't you know have doing it with a, a smile on my face and learning having seeing it as the the opportunity that it was to learn from from the folks who were already doing this you know working on the the yeah. night shift and, and busting their butts you know just because I had a college degree and 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 was doing some science didn't doesn't make me necessarily uh, special but you know being in the trenches with them and and forming those relationships and you know not being afraid to go out with the the guys for a beer on Fridays you know that was an, another thing i think that kind of set me up, up apart from other women in our group you know it's not just the drinking or or the fact that it's beer it's that you're happy to be in that environment and kind of uh, commune with them, you know, sure. <laughs> boys can be yeah. just as gossipy as girls can, <laughs> <laughs> but, but finding that, that way to, to connect through those activities. I don't know. I, I feel like they're often in, and even in, at Brown Foreman there, it, it seemed like the girls stuck together and the boys stuck together and it's hard to really network in a in a meaningful way when when you have those barriers as well i guess so you you're breaking barriers <laughs> it, 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 i i i think the thing so <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely you know the things that i heard you say i mean you said you said passion you said hard work the the things the examples you gave they demonstrate humility and connection right and those things are timeless and extremely valuable, but often overlooked because people focus so much on politicking or on themselves. They're not always willing to do the hard work and make those work to make those connections and stay humble and, and, and grind it out. And it's obvious that that's been key to your success. Would you, would you agree with that? I like the way that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like you to me, but well, Marianne, this has been incredibly enlightening so far. I, I do want to talk with you some more about a, a different angle, which is your personal brand. And I, I would say that for many, you're in an enviable position, having been one of the stars of a, of a major documentary about whiskey, having been on, on television several times, quoted in many articles, interviewed many times. And I mean, it's not so easy to get to you. I'm, I'm extremely grateful that we have you on this podcast today. But that branding that you've done, I mean, obviously, it's thoughtful. It's not by accident. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of both your career and your personal brand and what you've done to build that that other people can learn from? Absolutely. When, when I 
accepted the the role of master taster at at Brown Foreman. That's when I really started getting some visibility in the industry. I don't think anybody knew who I was while I was just a, a research nerd, you know. And that's that's kind of nice being under the radar and and just doing the the tech technical stuff and that's really what I love to do is the the product development the process improvement type type projects but they at Brown Foreman had this internal media training and they got me a, a public speaking coach and you know with the the goal of develop developing me into an extension of their brands you know uh, Woodford Reserve and an old forester very classy elegant historic brands so they they were looking for someone who would be the best face in in representing their fine products so the language that I was using and the way that I dressed and the way that I, I presented their products and, and myself was all in line with that. So all of those initial articles and, and things like that, I was often getting, you know, hair and makeup done and, you know, they, I would be coached on, you know, they, they'd work with me on, on questions in advance. And there was always a, a PR person there just watching just in case. <laughs> You're like, no, she won't answer that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite beer? No, she doesn't. <laughs> but That's I do. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> um, you could tell us that later too. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't really using social media personally back back in that time. I I I had Facebook, but it was like didn't really didn't really do much. Didn't didn't really understand the the power that social media had until I left Brown Foreman. You know, I was doing a little bit of tease here and there. You know, we I do a a TV spot for Brown Foreman and take a picture of the setup that the camera was seeing or, you know, something like that and, and reposting when, when people would see a, a segment that I had done or, or some new project that I was working on. And any, anytime folks tagged me and things, I was trying to in, engage with them just because I was excited as they were about how, how their experience went or the product that they chose and, and that sort of thing. But when I left Brown Foreman, and moved to Castle and Key. There were there were two guys. One was a fund manager, and the other one a lawyer. And neither one really had any any social media presence whatsoever. And I think still very minimal. But I was already you know trying to engage with people. I had some follower, uh, some following. Not 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 anything significant really. But at the beginning there, it was really through my my personal brand that we built uh, the Castle and Key brand. So through my voice, my excitement over, you know, the history of this place, what it was, what it was, what it was going to be, you know, this little, the lab videos that I shot there in the, the old yeast lab at, at Castle and Key, where I had the, the phone like strapped up to the shelf in the lab and it was this horrible quality, shaky video, but people really seemed to appreciate the authenticity of it. And Such a key. whenever I had something that I thought was interesting to share, or even if it was just like a cold day or there was some kind of electrical thing that was going on, opening that, that curtain so they could see behind and, and into that, the building of it and, and what was, what was actually happening. So I, that, that's the way 
that Castle and Key started was my personal passion and transparency. And then eventually they were like, all right, you don't have time for this anymore. <laughs> we started a, a Castle and Key page and it was one of the owners, one of the founding owners and I running it together. And he would put these horrible filters on every picture that he posted. <laughs> so I, I eventually was like, all right, you've got to stop and we're going to hire somebody to do this for us. Yeah. So the, the Castle and Key pages were run by this this other firm and there was a moment where they asked me if that that firm could run my Marianne pages as well and 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 it it was like almost like heart-wrenching it's like I can't give this up you know I've I've spent so much time and and these are you know people that are following me because it's genuine and authentic and you know they they want to be able to connect directly with me and hear my voice and and I don't I don't want to give that away to somebody else to you know script yeah good for so you I, I held on to it and I think they were <laughs> a little taken aback or you know they just it, it it took them a little while to come around to the the power of what empowering me to have my own voice actually did for the company and and how much press came came through that yeah so you know you covered a lot of ground there but it sounds like you had some great investments made in you the the pr training the the good quality photographs the 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 speaking coaching right um now Great companies, I'm hearing you loud and clear, they should do that for their people, and that's going to help them. And I hope people are listening who do start doing that for their employees. But would you say that even if they don't, it's worth doing that on your own for yourself? Absolutely. I did, um, even beyond those things that they set up for me, I was doing Toastmasters. I joined the the Toastmasters group at at um, Brown Foreman, and they have community ones too. So if your company doesn't doesn't have a Toastmasters group, they they do that in the the community, and it's a great way to get comfortable with speaking in front of people and and preparing, you know, certain lengths of different topics of things. I <laughs> one of my shining achievements in Toastmasters was I got first place in the humorous speech competition. Wow. So that could have been a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Everybody likes somebody funny. That's right. Good. Yeah, but I think, you know, along that same line doing improv classes and, and that sort of thing taking you out of your comfort zone and and how to react to things that you don't see coming you know it's it's really important and in the heat of the the moment you know whether it's you're you're sitting in the room talking about finances or or how many barrels of bourbon we got and what the recipe is going to be and how are we going to sell this stuff you know reacting to to people and scenarios that you know, you you don't necessarily see coming is is uh, is really really important to setting that reputation as an expert. What great advice! Yeah, and and you know the the way that you agreed to be vulnerable or even int- were intentionally vulnerable, doing things like showing the visibility around issues, right? That you might be having, like you mentioned with the power. So I know a lot of companies are afraid to pull back the curtain and let people see anything that possibly could shed any light on them being vulnerable or imperfect. Why would you say that that's a good thing and not a bad thing? I think that 
showing some vulnerability is what makes you human. And people who are pursuing a, a product or a service, they want to connect. I, I really think that what my generation, the next generation, I, I, everybody, this is, this is across just being a human. <laughs> mm-hmm, I think yeah. our desire is to have that authentic connection and to, you know, sometimes it helps if you're like, oh, Marianne did this stupid thing. <laughs> I've done stupid things, you know, yeah, but she's done, yeah. she's done all these great things, but she's willing to to share that, that time that she dropped a walkie talkie in the mash or her cell phone in the slop tank or, you know, accidentally put white corn in, in the mash cooker when it should have been yellow corn <laughs> or, you know, a, a million other things that sometimes, you know, totally ruined uh, what I was trying to do. And in other times actually was a, an incredible learning opportunity and, and even turned into something that was, was kind of interesting. So having the, the courage to show that vulnerability and, and use it as a way to connect with people. You have such a refreshing perspective. And you are so right about that. And it was so many, and I know this is a financial industry podcast primarily. So, so many in this industry are very rigid and conservative. And yet, those who do what you just described, they endear themselves to others in such a, a more effective way. So, that's that's excellent, Marianne. Thank you so much for that. Now, I, I know we're getting close on time and, and we could talk much more about personal branding and strategy, but we have to allow a little bit of time for whiskey. We got to talk about whiskey some. So, I got a few questions for you because a lot of the people that listen to this show are whiskey drinkers. So, first of all, I want you to just tell us what is the difference between whiskey and scotch. Can you help me out with that? Of course. So a a lot of people know that bourbon is whiskey. It's got different rules that scotch is whiskey, that, you know, there are Canadian whiskeys. What what is the difference in in all this stuff? Well, essentially all whiskeys, whether it's bourbon, scotch, Irish Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, um, they all follow four rules. So they have to be made with grain, Mm-hmm. They have to be distilled below 190 proof. Okay. They have to be aged in some capacity. They have to be bottled above 80 proof. And this is generally across the board. There, there are some very few exceptions. For, for instance, Australia will allow whiskey to be bottled a little lower than 80. And like corn whiskey doesn't have to go into a barrel. There's also some Canadian blended whiskeys that used unaged product intermingled with aged product. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> just generally, that's what makes a whiskey, those four things. Bourbon is different because it's made in the U.S. Scotch is different because it's made in Scotland. <laughs> mm-hmm, and, right. <laughs> you know, the, the biggest differences in the style of the two are the mashing processes the way they're cooked and the grains that they use. So it's that very first step. It's not, you know, it's not the distillation. The aging does make it different, but it's really truly the the flavor of the grains and, and how they're cooked that make them different. So bourbon, we, we tend to experience as this sweet, complex, robust, kind of spicy flavor profile. 
whereas scotch can be very smoky and medicinal. There, there are definitely fruity scotches in the world, but it's because of that malted barley and the peat smoke that they use in, in their malting process. And I could just go on forever. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to nerd out on, on the differences in whiskeys, I could I could fill up a whole podcast with it. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm sure we would love it. We would love it. But it's, it's great. But of course, we can also learn more from you and about whiskey by, by looking at you up online and by watching the documentary you were part of, right? What's a uh, neat, uh, the story of bourbon, right? Free on Hulu, I think. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome documentary. Okay. So, so let's get specific here in a way that you can really help us out, right? We go in the liquor store, we're looking for a good whiskey. There's so many choices. How do we pick a good one? Well, you know what? Everybody's palate is different. And it's really difficult to to make a a recommendation that that everybody will enjoy. You know, I'm gonna I'll say a, a few that that I really enjoy, and somebody's gonna go pick them all up and be like, "Ugh, <laughs> want to spit okay. it out?" Okay, well, that's all right. If you um, like it, then we'll acquire the taste for it. Probably, it good. <laughs> yeah, I'm a professional. You should like what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, and I I came up in this industry really developing a palate for bourbon, you know, in, in, in the Kentucky style of, of bourbon. So some of my favorites are Russell's Reserve from Wild Turkey. I think this is a beautiful product, particularly their rye whiskey. Really, really special stuff. And, and Jimmy Russell is just a, an exceptional person, been in the industry longer than, than even my uh, parents have been alive. So it's a, a product that I think you can do a lot with, whether you want to make it into a cocktail, just drink it neat. If you want to cook with the stuff, I'm sure Jimmy wouldn't be offended. So get you some Russell's. I also really, really like Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. And, you know, I, I, I would say every Brown Foreman product is excellent because I, I worked there and was their master taster and have a, a particular fondness for it. That was sure. all I, I drank for six years. And then when I left Brown Foreman, I was like, oh, my gosh, there are other whiskeys that exist <laughs> and I should be trying them. <laughs> so I, I tried a lot of a lot of different things at that point. Um, but the Woodford Reserve double oaked. So it's their standard product that's that that is then rebarreled into a second barrel that's heavily toasted. And it's very sweet. It's like a dessert bourbon. And for me, because I have a sweet tooth, I, I really love that product. And fun story. They happened to be starting the development for that product when I first started as an intern. So the four years or or so that it took to define the process, the type of barrel, how they would batch and, and, and age and all of that stuff was happening as I was, you know, coming up through the ranks and eventually becoming the master taster for that brand and Floral Forester. So I love it. Yeah. And you know, actually, it's just coincidental, but at our uh, management retreat, I just shared a bottle of that with my co-founders and we loved it. So it's amazing. I'm so, I, I, I was wondering if I actually have decent whiskey taste or not, and I'm so glad to know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been like semi-validated. All right, give us, a, give us another one. Um, another one that, that I would say, gosh, I just, there, there are so many great ones. One that people probably aren't going to have be as familiar with, New Riff 
up in northern Kentucky. That's an excellent product. I've been able to taste several of their single barrels and even just at four years old as they they started around the same time that well no I, I take that back they started a little bit earlier than we did at, at Castle and Key than they did at Castle and Key but um, a very similar setup and in, in their process and equipment so it's a, a really great product they worked with Jim Rutledge from Four Roses helped them out with some of their process, but they just, you know, and, and they did it a little bit of a different way. They, they hired a, a brewer to be their distiller. So he brought his knowledge from the brewing industry and then learned how to, to distill and brought a little different take to the process, which I think was, was really great. And then also one, one more that I would throw out that people probably um, aren't as familiar with is Wilderness Trail. Their rye whiskey is super delicious. Okay. That is awesome. We've got a short list now that we can share with everybody. And, and I'll be making a trip to the liquor store after this this uh, interview with you. So <laughs> thank you so much, of course. Marianne. This this has been absolutely delightful. We we love your advice for women. We love your advice on personal branding. And of course, we love your advice on whiskey. You, you've been an absolute delight. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Robert. I, I really appreciate it. It's It's been fun. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Steal My Strategy, the podcast that delivers a glimpse into the minds of brilliant people like Marianne. And if you want to learn more about her or get in touch or book her for speaking, uh, go to her website, MarianneEves.com. Of course, you can Google her, first female master distiller in Kentucky. She'll come up everywhere. And if you like this episode, please share it and subscribe to the series. We'd like to thank our creative team at Snappy Kraken for producing it. And uh, on behalf of uh, our entire team and Marianne, we we thank you. We're signing off and we wish you days filled with groundbreaking, ceiling shattering, status quo challenging work like Marianne and of course, great whiskey. Cheers. Cheers.